0: Hi everybody. My name is Dr. Pete Finn, and I'm a senior lecturer in politics at Kingston University. And this is the COVID-19 and Democracy podcast. Um, just before we all disappear off for a couple of weeks of well-earned break over these two holidays, um, we are returning to a topic that is um, we've looked at in various different ways on the podcast and in the broader project with which the podcast sits over the last year and a half or so, and that is um, the higher education um, sector, and I'm talking to someone who is eminently qualified to talk about that today, which is TAB Betts. TAB Betts is a um, lecturer in higher education pedagogy um, in the School of Education and Social Work at the University of Sussex. He is also, rather wonderfully, the founder of the Active Learning Network, which is Um, if you haven't heard of it, check it out. They've got a really good website um, and I've got a very small part in a book that they've got coming out in the future on kind of um, education, ideas for kind of active education um, and engaging education. Tab is also an inclusive digital education consultant. Um, So Tab, welcome to the podcast. Thanks Pete, it's great to be here. Oh it's great to have you on. Um, So before we dive into kind of the details of active education and the um, pandemic and how that's evolved could you just explain a little bit about your current role roles and how you got there and whether or not you have a particular learning or teaching philosophy
1: absolutely yeah so yeah as you said I'm I'm a lecturer in higher education pedagogy um, and I also do consulting in terms of learning technologies and trying to make learning more inclusive Um, and as you said I run the active learning network so Um, I came to this I've worked in higher education for most of my career but I've also done some teaching in other contexts like in international schools and in secondary um, education and um, before being a lecturer in higher education pedagogy I also worked in technology enhanced learning so um, I'd say that an important part of my philosophy is the idea so the concept of social constructivism so the idea that knowledge is not something which is just passed from one person to the other, but it's something that is created in the learner, in the mind of the learner, but also through the process of exchanging ideas with other people um, and working out problems together. And because of that, I think that technology is a very important part of learning because it enables some of that social interaction and that sharing of, of knowledge. Um, and part of the reason for the Active Learning Network is that um i think learning in higher education particularly can be quite um traditional and quite didactic but you know most of the research on teaching and learning shows that active approaches to to learning are more effective
0: okay great and um how has um kind of learning and teaching traditionally been viewed i mean in some sense it's a bit of a strange question but in other senses perhaps not <laughs> how has learning and teaching traditionally been viewed within higher education and has there or is there perhaps still a perceived hierarchy between those who are focused on teaching and those who are focused on research
1: yeah i think it's it's A slightly contentious issue really in higher education, the the relationship between research and teaching. Um, I think traditionally there's a perception that uh, research has more prestige attached to it and that there is also a reluctance among some members of academic staff to spend much of their time teaching because it kind of is considered to take away from their time researching Um, and So I think there still is a bit of a a bit of a hierarchy in a lot of people's minds where kind of people on a more teaching focused route or people who do more teaching tend to be kind of considered less um, senior in the hierarchy. But I think that's changing. And I think one of the reasons for that is that there is this community emerging around the scholarship of teaching and learning. So the idea of subtle is Um, is becoming more embedded in universities and also things like the HEA fellowships uh, that are now offered by Advance HE, I think are a really good mechanism for getting people to emphasise teaching and learning more. And also the fact that we use things like the UK Professional Standards Framework, it provides a way of kind of benchmarking, you know, the quality of teaching and the development of the professional development of um, people who are teaching in higher education. And then of course, things like the Cedar, um, the Cedar community, which is you know a great way for people to share good practice and kind of you know ask each other questions and get responses. We were talking about that just a moment ago how valuable having communities like that is. Um, but yeah, there's actually some very good research that came out recently. Uh, about the difference between the kind of research track for academics and the teaching focus tracks uh, by Susan Smith and David Walker. Uh, it came out in 2021 um, and title of the paper is Scholarship in Academic Capitals, the Boundary Nature of Education-Focused Career Tracks. Um, I can give you the link for that, but I think it's a, a really good article. And one of the things that they found was that one of the one of the kind of barriers to getting teaching more valued in higher education is this lack of standardization. So in terms of like the way that we um, talk about teaching and learning, there's so many different names for the different tracks for for teaching focused routes um, in terms of the career track. And there's also a a lot of different terms in, in terms of the different teams within universities that are responsible for developing teaching and learning. So. I think in order to get that culture change, it's really important for us to find ways to be more standardised um, in the approach to to valuing teaching.
0: Okay. Thanks. Um, and so, just for listeners, just for some context to the reason why how me and Tab got in contact on this particular issue is that the cedar there's a there's a cedar mailing list that um, both me and Tab and actually. Um, um, Melanie um Melanie Marie Hayward who originally we'd planned to record this together but it was hard to <laughs> coordinate all our um, timetables so I'm going to speak to Melanie in uh, May um normally that's a very collegiate um, and quite a nice um mailing list and everyone kind of posts interesting things or papers they've written or blog posts or whatever um or kind of calls for papers and things and th- the only weird time I've known it to get quite contentious was on the uh, debate. someone posted something about an educational developer's job and then there was lots of people saying oh educational development is under Oh, yeah, that was, and-
1: that was quite interesting wasn't it
0: <laughs> yeah that's the only time I've ever known it to get quite well I wouldn't say it was I and mean, people be being- were respectful right no one was not respectful but there was some some differences of agreement should we say on that um, and so that's where, where the-, the broader context of this discussion is um okay and so um With that in mind, um, and with what you were saying earlier about kind of the uh, how much or like the value placed on education, where are teaching teams devoted? Where are teams kind of devoted to teaching, and learning, or in or in some cases supporting other academics? Where who are teaching? Where have they been located? Does that location matter?
1: Well, it's it's interesting because actually, again, I think there's a there's a lack of standardisation about where these teaching Teams sit. So, um, a lot of universities have an educational development unit, um, or they have an academic development unit. Um, some other universities, like University of Sussex, for example, until recently had just a TEL team, um, so technology enhanced learning, uh, but didn't have a dedicated educational development unit. Although interestingly, they're about to change their name to the educational enhancement unit. So. Um, again those names are are kind of important and I've seen also some universities where within the schools themselves or the colleges in the university they have you know roles that are dedicated to academic development or technology-enhanced learning um, so and then in other universities it seems to be based in, in the library or linked to you know kind of uh, learning services student services so there's there's really quite a bit of variety in terms of um, where teaching and learning sits in the university. And, um, and then of course, you have things like academic quality um, teams who sometimes take some responsibility for these things too. So does it matter? Well, I think, I think it, I think it matters to some extent because it changes the way that that thing is perceived. So if I think there's a, in universities there's always this danger that people live in their own silos and then they're suspicious of anything that comes from outside of that silo <laughs> so um in some ways i think it is important that people see it as something that um is relevant to them and um that isn't kind of imposed upon them so i think that's something to think about in in terms of how you structure it within a university is, is is it going to be perceived as an imposition from senior management or is it going to be perceived as something that is more kind of bottom up
0: okay and so now turning to the pandemic and the now almost hard to believe <laughs> the last two years um how has the covid 19 pandemic impacted um Kind of learning and teaching in higher education and um, are you aware if this reflects other areas or are there slight kind of nuances or differences that have um, arisen just because of the context of um, higher education?
1: Yeah I think it's had a, a massive impact and I think most people across higher education would agree with that that it's had a huge impact but um, I think some of that has been positive and some of that has been not so positive i suppose the positive side of it is that um, there's been a huge amount of upskilling in terms of uh people's familiarity with more flexible ways of of teaching and learning and um the kind of tools that are available in terms of technology for facilitating that Um, and i think it's built a greater awareness as well so apart from the upskilling there's also This sense that we're more aware of what is available and what is possible in learning. Um, And there's been a lot of really good sharing of practice. And so, I mean, that's one of the things that um, the Active Learning Network, which is this global community that um, that I set up with a bunch of others, that's kind of the point of it really, is this idea of sharing practice and also this Cedar mailing list that we we were using to, to kind of get in touch with each other previously. Um, I think this has been kind of, I guess, supercharged by um, this idea that everyone suddenly was remote so we can connect to anyone in any institution um, quite easily. But I I think there is there are some barriers, too. So I think it's created more misunderstandings um, in terms of uh, what people how people perceive online learning, because a lot of people didn't have any first hand experience of online learning beforehand and so for a lot of people um what happened during the pandemic for them is what they experienced was wasn't necessarily a very high quality of teaching and learning because it was an emergency response and then if people start seeing that as well i don't like online learning or online learning doesn't work for me i think the the important thing is for people to realize that that isn't online learning right that's a that's just an emergency response. And if you, you know, I, I think in your in your previous podcast episode, um, Peter Bryant was talking about uh, the idea of learning design and how important that is. And I think that's really the key, isn't it? It's like, well, is this online learning designed purposefully? Um, and I think that's what we need to take away from pandemic is kind of being... More purposeful in the way that we design things, but also this flexibility—like how do we create flexible learning um, and inclusive learning? So you asked also about how does this reflect in in, in relation to other educational spaces? So um, I think it was been it's been a different experience for secondary school um, and primary schools, and so so one of the things I, I think is that um, schools have have kind of gone back to face to face teaching um, i guess in a more wholesale way and, and, and more quickly and earlier than than higher education institutions um, and you know I think particularly with primary school teaching it was very challenging for a lot of teachers so my younger sister's a primary school teacher and um and I think you know trying to uh engage very young learners in that sort of environment is is um, is very difficult particularly because um, it's reliant on the parents kind of helping them to get connected to their online lessons and, and things like that so but it seems like they've gone back almost hundred percent whereas in higher education we uh, well we've got a real mix you know some universities are um, still teaching things online, some universities are doing um, various types of hybrid um, teaching and uh, so at the University of Sussex they have mostly gone they're kind of getting everyone to go back to -to face-to-face teaching um, in most cases so I think there's a there's a real mix of of different approaches used.
0: Yeah sure we've yeah similar at Kingston we've got I mean most of in fact all of my teaching I think this year's been online but like lots of stuff around it like lots of career sessions that I'm involved with running and um, like any event now, like the kind of almost the default now is to do it online. Um, unless there's a particular reason to do it face-to-face, um, which I mean, uh, you lose something from not having it face-to-face, but then you gain something from, because I think you're right, right? It's not about online better or worse, or it, it's, it's whatever you need from any particular um, session or, the logistics involved in <laughs> of, of you know it could just it, it is much easier to set up an online uh, event right you, know, you just generate the link and then you, you're good to go <laughs> and get, get your promo team involved um okay and um turning to, i guess to kind of teams responsible for kind of helping other people teach right or like, teaching teachers or like within universities i mean at kingston are Kind of LTECH team have been brilliant. Uh, I, I, yeah, I haven't got enough praise. So I've said it numerous times on the, on the podcast. Like, yeah, yeah brilliant. Um, uh, how is How have they responded? And are there examples of best practice, whether at your own institution or other places that you're aware of?
1: Yeah, well, actually, I think that's actually one of the best things that's come out of um, the last couple of years is that people are seeing... The enormous value that academic development and technology enhanced learning those kind of teams have for the whole university and i think people have come to engage with those teams um, even better and i mean i think there's there's just a tremendous amount of really good work um happening I- across all institutions but um i think the danger is that that people feel like that was just a temporary thing and and, and they go back to what they were doing before. Um, so I think we need to work better at consolidating and sharing resources. Um, there's a very good project, which is the, ta- uh, the National Teaching Repository, um, which thinks based at Edge Hill uh, University, but that's a place where people kind of share um, useful, resources for teaching and learning and anyone in any institution can contribute to it and, and access those resources so those kinds of initiatives and um, things like um, you know I think a lot of a lot of teams have set up um, like an area in their learning management system or virtual learning environment where they gather together lots of bite-sized resources about different tools that can be used. Um, I think that kind of uh, practice has been really excellent. And then, the other thing I've noticed is a lot of um, communities of practice popping up for, for various things. Uh, and so, one example um, is I, I work I work with a lot of like early career researchers and um, people who are coming into teaching. And um, a couple of those researchers that I work with have set up a resource around neurodiversity and supporting um you know making neurodiversity uh, making people more aware of the the needs of learners that have you know various various neurodiverse needs and um also supporting specifically like phd researchers who um you know who might benefit from having a, a centralized place for resources and they've put together this, this resource that they're gonna share. And I think that kind of thing is, is really, really helpful because otherwise people are kind of learning on their own and struggling to find their way through. Um, whereas if you create a community, then you know, that learning can be shared. And I think that's a really powerful thing and that's also something that online interactions and technology um, can really facilitate. And you've, you've, you, know, you and I have been involved in that quite recently, you know the Active Learning Network's putting together this book where it started out, I just set up a, a Google document um, as part of the Global Festival of Active Learning. And I just said, you know people put, can put in some ideas around um, active learning and, and how to um, make teaching and learning more interactive. And I thought maybe we'd get 20 ideas, but it, it turned out to be over 100.
0: And you haven't slept since. <laughs>
1: That's right, yeah, it's been, <laughs> it's been quite a project.
0: Yeah, no, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, yeah, a, a small part of that. And, you know, the amount of work that and, like, the kind of the siloing of all that work has been that kind of the division of labour. Must You must have learned about how to think out a work method a lot, in a way, <laughs> that you Yeah, because yeah, it was
1: fairly uncharted territory in terms of, like, trying to write and edit a book with that many chapters with that many authors involved and i think it comes back again to something you were talking about in the last episode about scalability and like how do you you know if you've got a large cohort of students like how do you scale something so that um with with a similar amount of resource you can you can make things work and i do think that distributed leadership is actually a really powerful tool for that so that's kind of the principle that i generally use with the active learning network is is kind of well let's you know let's divide divide something up into small chunks and then let's give people leadership of that part. And that's great for everyone because it's great for everyone's professional development as well. Right. You know, you've taken leadership of that thing, um, but it also means you can just achieve way more, way, way more than than one person could trying to lead um, a project with that many people.
0: Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, and so just to wrap up, um, are there um, any kind of key key learning points if you would say say your institution comes to you and said tab we want you to surmise what we've learned uh, over the last two years what are your you know and then present it to um the whoever the, the leadership team of the university what are the kind of key learning points that you would highlight um with relation to education the pandemic and, and all of the stuff we've been discussing
1: it's a big question
0: yeah no pressure <laughs> <laughs>
1: So I think well, one of the key things is, is like we've just realised how important digital skills and digital literacy are. Um, and also it it also has shown how important flexibility is because, you know, people, there are a variety of, say, invisible disabilities where some people have been excluded from higher education previously. And I think what this increase in digital skills and digital literacy allows for is it allows us to realize there are other ways of doing things that can be much more inclusive for those people. So uh, as an example, some people have chronic fatigue syndrome and, and actually that's that's increased dramatically as a result of long COVID and other things. So um, yeah, that flexibility uh, of, of giving people different ways to to connect to, to their learning that don't necessarily involve coming into a physical campus. Um, And I think in terms of how do we tackle that design problem, uh, I think what's really important is understanding how powerful the idea of kind of task-based learning is and, and the idea of creating, we need to rethink courses in such a way that everything is designed as a task which can be completed either asynchronously or synchronously or a mixture of the two. And if we design our courses in that way, then it it allows us to adapt to any situation that might come up. Um, And part of that is just, again, it's about, you know, how do I do that in a way which isn't um, too resource intensive? And there are, you know, there are simple ways to do it, like that distributed leadership idea, uh, like using more. Um, peer assessment and peer feedback learners Um, but also uh, I want to actually mention something else was mentioned in the previous episode which was um, the idea of automated marking and you know multiple choice quizzes and things like that Uh, and I agree with almost everything in that episode but I disagree on this particular point which is that I think those things have a real value in learning I think when they're over-relied upon, then that's negative. But I think if if we if we want to make things scalable, then it's it's useful for learners to have, say, a multiple choice quiz where they can just maybe as a self-assessment thing for them to be able to get immediate feedback on their ideas. But it's about the whole spectrum of Bloom's taxonomy, right? So it's not so it's not ignoring the, the lower levels of Bloom's taxonomy; those are important too. And then and then by doing having those lower levels. Covered by this kind of automated feedback and assessment in, in quizzes and things, you can then use the synchronous time that you have to be more focusing on the higher order thinking skills and, you know, getting people to um, complete tasks which require, you know, complex analysis, complex evaluation, um, complex creation, co-creation of, of knowledge. Um, so those, are, I guess those are the kind of key things that I think are really important for us to take away is you know how do we make um, the learning more inclusive and more flexible how do we harness the idea of distributed leadership and shared responsibility uh, and actually it really links into the whole theme of this podcast right which is uh, you know the idea of democracy you know if, if we if we really take that idea really seriously then it's about empowering learners to be co-creators of the experience to be co-participants and giving them the tools and the power structures in the classroom
0: to do that absolutely right I'll use that on our website that's great (laughs) what a tag yeah 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 absolutely um I mean I I mean I guess you never 100% agree with all governments but I slightly a lot of the kind of the criticisms of um Kind of universities for, i mean basically just had to adapt almost overnight right to this thing <laughs> and so i don't you know it's not value for money online like uh, i'm not and it might not be but it not necessarily isn't like right? that's terrible phrasing but um anyway tab thank you very yeah. much for coming on it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you um and um but i we should definitely have you on once the book's published um and maybe with your team um that'd we, be great because i mean a hundred chapters pandemic that is some achievement so yeah thank you very much indeed
1: absolutely thank you so much Pete it's been an absolute pleasure
0: cheers